This is the friend season. This is the friend season. Ask Adelaide and Anna. This is the friend season of Ask Adelaide and Anna. Adelaide and Anna. Welcome to Ask Adelaide and Anna. I'm Adelaide Jagade. And I'm Anna Ilet, and we are artists and friends. Welcome to the bonus episode of the Friends season, and for this episode, we'll talk about collaboration. Thank you, Linda, Clemence, Nikki, and Emily, being our new cast of Friends for this bonus episode. While we were in Paris, Clemence from the Big Conversation Space invited us to her home, and there we conspired to record at a later date with Nikki, the other half of the Big Conversation Space. Hope you enjoy this episode. My name is uh, Linda Lamia. I'm a visual and performance artist. I work with objects and video performance and music. I really like to collaborate with my family, friends and lovers. And right now I'm at a residency in Paris at Cité Internationale des Arts. I've been here since January. I have a broken knee and I'm usually based in, in Copenhagen, Denmark. So like lately for me personally, I've been getting more opportunities when I do collaborations, like with Anna mm. and with my partner. Mm. Well, do you have any advice for how to deal? How to sort of maintain the individual? Yeah, in the individual sense of identity or like self as an artist. If, for instance, like there's been a long time where I haven't had anything that's like just me. That's actually quite hard for me to answer because I think in my case, I've been like invited individually because my collaborations are also kind of with a lot of different people. So I get invited and then I go out and like ask people in my network if they want to join me because it's much more fun to work with people than to do stuff alone. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't really been invited to do a collaboration. It's more that I've chosen to involve more people. So I guess in my case, it hasn't been so difficult to kind of maintain that individual sense also maybe just like rethinking what it means what individuality means because also like when I was working alone obviously nothing of what I did wasn't affected from someone else or something else there's like always a connection to like a conversation with someone or an experience walking in nature, through a landscape, something happens. So like, there's always these like small transformations in the meeting with others that kind of leads up to that so-called individual work. Yeah. So for me, I've been like rethinking that a lot, which is why it has been so important for me to kind of involve others because they're already involved in the process. And then how can I kind of extend that even more? I think maybe the only thing that makes it an issue at all is applications the process mm -hmm. of applying for things yeah. and like say your work is really different than the collaborations when you have collaborations with others yeah or like the collaborative entity has its own identity that's really different from whatever you would be applying for yeah I think those things make us like frame ourselves in ways that we wouldn't do otherwise you know because I don't like to be put into like a certain genre of art or certain things like that but then like the more you have 
that's in a certain area, mm. it's easier to like look focused. You have like 10 years worth of you've been doing this thing and you look like you're really focused. So I think that's like where I struggle is having to frame myself as an individual when I'm applying for things. We can rethink everything, but then there's like all these systems that are kind of still stuck in a certain way of thinking that yeah. you kind of have to form yourself to in, in order to actually get work. So yeah, I don't know if I have like any very good advice because my advice okay. are different. You're still like moving from individual to collaboration and even in your like, as you also sort of question what is individual work mean? Like, mm -hmm. And in this work, there's a lot of dialogue or conversation or these sort of other stories explicitly in them. So in that sense, maybe it's maybe maybe it's also a way to talk about individual practice would make it easier to understand the collaborative practice or like to see how they are connected. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I also feel like uh, a, a bit of a <laughs> struggle or trying to figure out like what do these like in a way greatly different practices that I'm a like, part of both, how do they relate to each other? I feel like for, with your work it's maybe easier to relate it than with mine. Most of my work is textiles or based on the history of decorative objects. And then like an advice podcast, you know, like you yeah. have, you do have works where you're, you have like other participants and dialogue. Yeah, I somehow think of though, with art collaboration, within that language, is that type of practice is almost more reflective of a research phase, which is very often and like developing new work, individual work, there's like a lot of research that sort of becomes relatively invisible. Mm. Yeah. And in one way, I think it's possible to think of some of collaborative work to more, to specifically deal with the research part of the work or of a practice. We're meeting uh, this other French duo that worked with conversation as well. Mm. So it's kind of interesting wow. that we're gonna exchange notes. Yes. <laughs> My name is Nikki Horth. I'm part of the big conversation space, the collaboration with uh, Clemence de Montgolfia. Currently based in New York City, I'm an artist and writer and arts administrator. So I'm Clemence de Montgolfier. I am half of the big conversation space with Nikki Korth and uh, I live in Paris and I'm an artist and other things as well. And like every artist, I think. Multifaceted identity. Unlike Ask Adelaide and Anna, you were part of the real show at CAC Brittany and that's sort of how we got introduced to you and your work. And I was thinking with this bonus episode, we want to talk more about collaboration. I'm curious to hear how you two met and how you started collaborating. So we met when we were both students. Um, I studied art in France and my school organized a, a an exchange program or a visit program in Nikki's art school in San Francisco. So I came to visit her school and it took a few months, I think, for us to become more closely friends. And then we started talking and I think one show happened where I liked her work and I think maybe you liked my work as well that we proposed. And then we started discussing doing something together, a project together as a way of staying in touch after I came back to France. So we were maybe 23 or something. So friendship was a, a big part of it, I think. That's so interesting as a way to, to stay in touch. I mean, I think that's been one of the best things about this collaboration with Anna is we talk regularly. And sometimes we talk when it has nothing to do about, you know, with the podcast. So I'm like, she's really my friend. That's a huge part of it for me, too. Or like, I don't know, we've been talking about a project and it, it did sound really interesting. And that's the project that became the big conversation space. But also like in the moment, I was just sort of like, yeah, anything. Because I, I want to stay in touch with Clemence. It's so hard sometimes to 
manage and, and sustain friendships, especially international ones, or even, I don't know, people who live in the place where I do, like just because you're so busy because you always have a job plus the art practice. So being able to stay in touch through the project not only like makes a meaningful connection, but exactly what you said, like keeping in touch and being being friends outside yeah. of it is very important. It's great to have these like hacks of creating some continuity, not only in work, but absolutely more so in relationships in a way it gives you sort of an excuse or maybe a um, specific space to develop something together which sometimes in a friendship you don't really have you don't have to like make an appointment or something to talk you know but because there's a project then we do have this incentive mm -hmm. to get in touch more from learning of your work and now especially with the, what you contributing with at CAC Brittany it seems like you also are very question driven or like create conversation or conversation spaces through questions and looking at your questions we try to like look at like okay which ones are the kind of questions that maybe we would be yeah that would make sense for us to address I really feel kind of connected to what you were saying and how creating conversations that maybe otherwise wouldn't happen so there is this one question I was thinking or we were thinking that maybe I can read out loud and you can think of it as also us asking for advice from you but it's actually your question what is collective action and how can it co-mingle with individual agency so this is one of your questions and we were like oh relate <laughs> I think the questions that we are asking in the different projects is questions that we are wondering about personally I don't have an answer but it speaks to the experience of doing something with other people and then also doing something by myself which are both enjoyable and hard they both have like advantage and difficulties in doing something with others you're stronger and you have more energy and more ideas and less responsibility like you carry things together so it feels easier in a way and more enjoyable because you're not lonely but then in a project alone you sort of don't have to discuss anything with anyone else so it could be faster but also it feels more lonely and maybe you doubt more of what you do and you don't really have a common goal with anyone so that's sometimes it could be a bit more sad in a way <laughs> yeah that's my feeling and with that doubt is also like the lack of immediate feedback you know sometimes i have to wait I'm like i don't know if this is good or not <laughs> or i don't know if this is working um and i need like some other person to come in i mean i guess it has to do with um insecurity too with sometimes I have with my ideas you know when you're living in your own bubble and the whole point of the work that you're making is for it to have an audience and to, for it to have a public it can be hard to know uh, how it resonates with other people if you're just like isolated and working alone there's times when you know Anna we talk about like you suggest something and I'm like ah, or vice versa you have that immediate feedback of like no I don't know about that <laughs> I like agree with everything but I, I find that tension really interesting and whether it's through a collaboration or stuff that I'm doing individually, like to have an idea and then hear someone else say, I don't really know about that. Like sometimes, I don't know, it will help me to realize like, oh, you know, I, I don't really know about that either. But sometimes hearing the sort of conflict coming from someone else helps me develop the idea more strongly because then I sort of can discern more of like, what are the issues with this? 
oh, this actually is something I really want to do. This doesn't actually happen that much with Clevence, but it's interesting contrasting that like when you're having those sorts of dialogues in a shared project, because it is a matter of like, we need to do things that we're both happy with. That doesn't mean that like, we'll both be 100% happy with everything. And that's one thing that I really value. And I think also comes from the fact that it's a collaboration and a friendship, you know, the space of like, what are our goals for the project? But then there's also between both of us, like a mutual desire to make sure that the other person is satisfied with what we're doing. And like the negotiations that happen in that space, I think are really interesting. You both mentioned goals. Is that something that you think has to be there in a collective action and or how would those goals be formulated? That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, because even as I was talking and from your question, like, I'm not sure if we've ever actually said, like, these are our goals for this thing. I think maybe more than goals, it might be an intention or like uh, what we try to do. I feel like that's something that we discuss at the beginning of projects is like, what kind of thing do we want to do? What do we want to talk about? What kind of format would we want to imagine but it's not like a project for i don't know create a product or something where you have like a very explicit goal i guess here the goal is a bit blurry or maybe changes over the course of the project too so i think we discuss more what do we want maybe more than what the goal is I mean, do we talk about desire or something we want to do or something that feels important? I think we do. And that's both linked to like what is important for us and also like what conversation are we interested in having with the world? Because it's, it's also very much influenced by what is happening in the world around us. But it raised an interesting question for me in the sense of like, I think about goals, you know, like learning goals and that sort of thing. And I don't think we've ever sort of addressed it that way, but it's interesting to think about the sort of learning goals that one may have in a classroom and the idea of like evidence of learning and like tasks and things like that. That's not really something that we do, but it just, I don't know, it came to my mind in the sense of like the way that goals may be established in a classroom. Like if you're learning a technical skill or if you're learning like a different way of thinking about something, like the way that goals can be articulated as something that isn't necessarily about like a tangible outcome. I don't know, this is really interesting because I don't think I've thought about it in this context in relationship to our project, but like that idea of like, what is sort of the, the frame of mind or like, what do you want? Since so much of what we do is about conversations with other people, like what what is the state of mind that we may want this person to be in afterwards? Which is interesting because I, I think that maybe we think about that subconsciously, but I've never articulated it that way. But while you're speaking, I'm like, well, the name of your collaboration, that could be a goal or just creating space making room for and as you mentioned earlier like making room for a relationship to develop a conversation to grow i think we do discuss why and what we want to do and so sort of what is the goal but not really as such and it's more like little things here and there throughout the whole process of making different projects but not in a very organized way and it's not really like we set a goal and then you have to get to the goal it's more like you set a direction and then you see what happens, you know. You never know where you're going to go in the end. All this made me think about like, what have our goals been, Anna? They're always based on what happened in the last season. So like, I like this about it, but I didn't like this about it. This time I want it to be like, for instance, more fun, or I want it to be in person, or we want an editor. We're trying to reach a point where it's mostly enjoyable because um, there's so much heaviness like that sometimes we want lightness. I don't know, am I explaining myself well? Uh, at least I, <laughs> I recognize our conversation from what you're saying. And, and, and I'm thinking of this in regards to, to the individual agency of us both like trying to figure out like 
in which way would it be make sense for for me in this yeah can I ask the next question yeah it seems very appropriate right? <laughs> okay so the next question is actually my question uh, I don't think I've ever submitted a question to <laughs> to us but the question is how do you deal with feeling like your individual practice is suffering while your collaboration is thriving like do you have moments where the big conversation space is what's doing well in your practice but then your individual practice like you don't feel like it has the same momentum good question <laughs> Nikki, do you have a... Yeah, I mean, I think I just, I sort of deal with it by talking with Clemence about like what we're sort of, I don't know, what we're planning to do. And like, because we sort of would like say yes to every opportunity. And like somewhat recently, like an opportunity came in that just like for both of us, because of like the timing, it just really didn't seem to work. And that was kind of one of the first times we ever said no to something. But I guess the way that I try to deal with that is just through more communication and by being open to saying no sometimes. And it's something I, I'm still definitely need to work on a lot because I have various ideas of things that I want to do in my more individual practice that, yeah, I just really don't have time for. So for me, it's, I guess it's more a time thing rather than momentum or thriving and just the challenges of making decisions of where you decide to put your time. I agree that I think it's all a matter of balance between like having time for, you know, because already as an artist, you struggle with balance between your making art and then making a living. If that's not always easy, at least for me, that's always a question. Then you also have time, um, have the, the balance between professional and personal life as well. But I think what is has been nice in the big conversation space is that we sort of always had something else going on, maybe not in the field of art, but, you know, I was doing uh, research for a while uh, when I was doing my PhD. So that was taking a lot of time. So then the, the spare time was dedicated to the big conversation space. But then that situation has changed. So now I feel like I'm developing more personal projects because I'm not no longer doing research. But it's nice to to be able to do both. And it depends on different opportunities. I think it's nice to have the freedom to be able to discuss it together. And I remember once, for example, I was proposed um, a teaching, sort of a teaching pedagogical residency at CAC Brittany. And we discussed it with Nikki. And I said, you know, how do you feel if I do this residency? And it will not be as the big conversation space, but it can have some relationships with our project that we do together. And she was great and said, no problem for me. You know, we can discuss it. And so to have that room to imagine the formats of how we can collaborate and how we can do things on our own is really great. And I think that's what makes it possible to continue doing things together. If you have too many constraints, I feel like maybe that might not work for so long, you know, because mm. you need that balance between self and group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's been like, because we did basically two seasons back to back. And then the time in between the third one and the fourth one, like before the two back to back ones was pandemic and not much was happening, you know, like this whole pandemic, not, I felt like there's been no momentum in my own personal practice. And sometimes I feel like a little unmoored, just like um, making work in my studio that has no place to go. Like, because for me, if I have an exhibition, it makes me think about how everything fits together and what I'm trying to say. Like, I usually come up with a title and everything kind of falls within that. And so without that kind of grounding, my own practice has been just like, oh, just do this and I'll do that. And kind of experimenting. I can see it now as experimenting, but like, you know, in the moment, it just felt like, what am I doing? But then with um, Anna, you know, like we had a, a season, season four with um, a structure and vision for cha changing circumstances. It's like the interesting 
interesting part of my practice, I guess, is working with Anna. I get to meet interesting people and have conversations and even travel. You know, we got to go to France. So I guess the question is like more about my feelings than about time or anything like that because I've had time to work on my own stuff but like the the thing that's going out into the world is ask Adelina sometimes I'm wondering like why are we invited to this and that and that and then I I think with art so many times it's about like timing and what makes sense in a specific moment and then especially with with how we work it's it's so based on like current situations in the world and so on and often studio practices are more slow so maybe it's like react to time differently I mean, does that make sense at all? It has a different kind of feed. Yeah, and also I know in France, the art world is very based on applications to public funding or public opportunities like uh, residencies or, you know, some open calls where you have to reply to like a certain type of constraints or project that you propose something for. So I know that's a big constraint both for individual and collective practice because you all have to be able to fit into timings that are decided for you. And also, you know, there's like specific requirements and that sort of drives the art practice world in France. And in the United States, I think it's a bit different. So that's a sort of a difference between, you know, the, the French art world and the American art world. I think that maybe is at play somewhere. We don't always decide the, the timing of, of things and the opportunities that we have or even that we try to provoke make happen some of the questions that other people have asked in the different seasons we've had about how to advance in their artistic career at the point that those people ask those things I was at a place where I was you know like winning opportunities and being asked to show my work and then I moved away from the city I was living in and like lived abroad for a bit and then came back and kind of like a little bit lost and people aren't asking as much, you know, because I'm not encountering, like, I don't know the people in my, in the community where I live. And then a pandemic, of course. So then I've been doing these virtual studio visits and I, I don't know, it's, I feel like I need advice from the podcast, not myself, because, <laughs> because it's like, how do I get out of this like weird place where, cause I'm not used to that. Like I, you know, I had a, a period of time where like things were coming to me and now I have to kind of like make more effort to talk to curators or to get people to know who I am or to like spread my work somehow. So yeah, I guess there's different like ebbs and flows of, of an art career. I can relate a lot to what you're saying, especially in the re relationship with the big conversation space, because I receive almost no opportunities like in my own individual practice, like all of the opportunities come from the big conversation space. I don't know, we can have like these ideas that are moving around, but until there's like something to sort of put them into, whether it's like an exhibition or yeah, anything like that, like to have that sort of opportunity funnel to channel those thoughts into, it really helps me at least to sort of sort out ideas. And it's interesting. So do you feel like are the virtual studio visits not helping you? They haven't led to anything. <laughs> They're not studio visits to give me feedback on my work. They're more studio visits for like a curator to get to know my work and get to know what's behind it and what I'm thinking of. And I know that things take time because like there are things that, you know, someone four years ago had a studio visit with me and then they remember me and they're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this project. But sometimes I feel a little impatient with that with that timeline and then it makes me it feel insecure I guess sometimes it's a studio visit about a specific exhibition that someone's having and then in the end I'm not in it so they decided from talking to me that they don't <laughs> that they don't want me in the show I think there's a lot of um, disappointment anyway you know in this career because you put yourself out there all the time and you have to be so vulnerable and then a lot of time you have rejection yeah so I think perseverance you know is a big part of it but it's difficult <laughs> 
I think I'm more used to the rejection that comes from you apply to something and anonymously, you know, like not somebody specific isn't rejecting you. It's like you get an email that's like, sorry, you weren't selected. We had 900 applicants and it was really hard. You know, one of these kind of rejection emails. But then when it's like you had this long conversation with someone and you went over the history of your work and they like seem to be into it, you know, it's like it feels like a harder rejection. It's like a date where no, yeah. they never call you back. <laughs> it's you think it went so well. And then you see them going out with someone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so much emotion into it. Yeah. It's hard to differentiate between yourself and your work, you know, and the emotion mm. you put in it. But I think it's part of the of the work. But definitely I think we've all been very sad sometimes. You know? How do you feel that your collaborative work sort of supports your individual practice in any way? In which way? I mean, I guess it, it depends on how you define my practice, because like I would still say like, you know, I have tons of like little journals that I use and like, I don't know, I'm collecting things that I write to maybe someday publish in something, but it's also like it just helps me to get things out. So I consider like something like that where there may be no plan for it ever to have any audience other than myself, like that's still part of my practice, mm -hmm. as well as other things. And in that, I think the big conversation space helps, I mean, on a very like sort of structural level, because like I think in dialogues, like sometimes it's just two sides of myself talking to each other, or sometimes I'm like imagining another person, but through the work that we've done related to conversation and like looking at it from many different sides, like that's just helped in a huge way. And I guess my practice of life, <laughs> like just in figuring out how I can use that habit in my mind in a way that's productive. And then also for, for other sorts of projects, like just the role of, you know, through this project, I got more comfortable with like audio editing and recording and so forth. And then in some of my personal projects, I've done a lot more with that and like using sound effects and making like a radio show and things like that. So the space that we had where like, we were never, not never, but like, for the most part, it was like, this is dedicated to the conversation. You know, the audio recording equipment is like a tool so that we can preserve this conversation. But that was kind of it. But that gave me a space to just get more comfortable with the technology so that then I could start doing other things, which then also came back into the project. And I think Clemence can say a lot more about this because I think in some of your personal work, you've taken it to the next level, but the ideas of oral history and those sorts of things in relationship to like conversational interviews have been a very big inspiration to me and something that I'm definitely interested in in developing more in, in my personal practice. And again, it's been sort of through our project and that we were just looking at these as conversations. And, you know, at the beginning, at least for me, like I wasn't looking at the whole idea of oral histories in, in culture in general, and then looking more at like, you know, more oral driven cultures versus like writing based cultures. But it, it gave me a chance to like explore it in a very immediate way and then go back to do more research and realize other ways that I want to try exploring and applying it. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same. I feel that a lot of um, what I'm interested to try to develop more as personal project comes from things that we've developed together. But also I find it hard to differentiate in our projects what comes from you and what comes from me. Maybe it's the whole point not to make a difference because it's with the interaction that things come together. But I'm also very preoccupied Sometimes I'm like scared of like taking something from the big conversation space that wouldn't belong to me. Mm. Um, so I try to pay attention to, to that as well. And if I ever do that, Nikki, tell me, please. <laughs> you know? But I think it's both in terms of forms, like the form of interviewing people. Um, I find really interesting to develop as a form. And also there's other influences, like other 
artists or other authors, uh, filmmakers, or I don't know, podcast authors that I find inspiring. So it's a mix of influences. And I think the big conversation space is a space for experimentation as well. And I hope we are both able to experiment within it. But also, I mean, you know, it's um, something where you are able to develop a project together that, you know, it's a collective project. So um, the goals maybe are different, you know. You have to each find your own space and be able to leave space for the unexpected to happen. I really appreciate is that it's a place where it's not about control. And I think that's really important. So it's more about seeing what happens and accepting the unplanned and the serendipity of two people together, what comes out. Whereas in a personal project, it's it's more challenging in this way because you're more about, I, I would think that you're more in control, but sometimes it's difficult to deal with that. Doing exactly what you planned maybe is not always the best option sometimes. Yeah. I do enjoy the flexibility that I find myself having, you know, working with another person and just being like, why not? You know, if someone suggests something, you're like, sure, that sounds good. I wouldn't have thought of that. And it works. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm flexible when I'm working to myself. You know, I, I allow room for change, but it's, it's nice to have another influence. And the evolution of the projects like changes each time, depending on what each person wants or what they got from the last time. I wonder how often do you do you get to see each other in person? I guess over the last 10 years, it's averaged as like once every year or two. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, I think so. For different projects, for... I think I've been in San Francisco, back in San Francisco, like a couple times. Then you came to, to France quite a lot, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Because my husband is American, actually, so... I have personal reasons to go there. So hopefully in the future, that makes it easier to see each other. Because now Nikki is on the East Coast, same area as my parents-in-law, family-in-law. So when you usually see each other, do you get to do the actual work together? Or do you find yourself doing a lot of the work uh, separately, like remotely? Most of the work is remote. But then when we are together, if we're together because of a project or an exhibition, then we have, it's usually pretty short, concentrated, like work time. But I guess, yeah, over the years, the majority of it is remote. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, I just have this memory of uh, in 2012, we went to do a residency in an art center in the east of France. And maybe, Nikki, you came maybe for a couple of weeks, right? For one month, yeah. But I had my memory that we did a lot together at that time. Like we made a lot of things. And and also for the last project in Paris before the pandemic, you came twice for two weeks and we did a lot of the making Mm -hmm. the work together also at that point. So I think it depends on the opportunities of formats and the possibility of traveling or not, you know, the time that it's possible to take off from work for Nikki or, you know, time to travel. But we try to just accommodate what we can do, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting talking to you both because you have a similar distance situation as we do, time zones and different continents. How often do you see each other in person? Um, When we first started doing the podcast, we were actually living in the same place for, I guess, a year of almost. Yeah. And then the next season that we did was in Norway. So I actually went to Stavanger and stayed with Anna and uh, got to see how she lives and everything and meet her friends and see her city. And then we traveled for the podcast. And then the third season, we were, I was supposed to go back to Norway and then the pandemic hit. And then the fourth one was supposed to be virtual because it was, you know, it, I was like um, 
conceived during the pandemic. So the whole exhibition was virtual. We've, I mean, we don't have as long of a working relationship as you do because we just started in 2019. So I think if it weren't for the pandemic, we'd see each other once a year, twice a year. Yeah, that's nice. But I, I have to say, we also like, if we don't see each other, we, I feel like we talk really regularly, like maybe not on the phone, but I feel like we're in contact a lot throughout the years, like maybe not every week, but at least once a month for 10 years, I think. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. It's so nice to see such a long co collaboration. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Me too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know what you think, Nikki, but I wonder if we did live in the same city, city, do you think we would still be working together this much? I mean, I, I like to imagine so in the sense of it being like fate and <laughs> predestined, but I'm not really sure because I think I think in a way the, the distance has been like a big part of it, which is not to say like, oh, I don't want to see you, but more like, I don't know, there's yeah. something to it that created more space. And also just, I mean, just the way that it started, because like that was at a time like I was in the, my first semester in an MFA program and like I really wanted to be like dedicated to what I'm doing in school and everything like that. But I was like, you know, I just met this incredible person and like I want to stay in touch. So of course I I want to do a project mm. but like had you still been living there you know I don't know I like to think that I still would have wanted to but the fact that you were going away was like such a big part of like my yeah. desire to to get it started and I'm so happy that that happened so I don't know it's hard to say because then there's also just the nature of living in a place at the same time and like how it's easier to just go get a coffee and like see them and and that sort of thing whereas with us mm. it's like when we're far apart and we're talking of course we talk about like general life things and stuff but it's like there's a different space for the project there and then when we are able to see each other it's not only often linked to a project but just because it's much more infrequent it's sort of like I don't know the time can be more concentrated yeah sometimes I wonder I just for some collaborators like what if you live in the same city and like you go to the studio all the time together you know like that might be a lot yeah <laughs> I think it's good to have this balance between time together and time alone too but maybe you can do that as well being in the same city I'm, I'm happy there is a distance but I'm not happy about the time difference that's like, I think that's yes. so annoying. That's hard. Yeah. And the mood is different if it's the morning for you or the evening for the other person. You're not in the same headspace. I hope Adelie and Anna continues for a while. Yeah, I hope so too. So, so glad we can do like a duo duo talk. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I hope to see you guys again sometime, someday. Let's keep in touch. <laughs> My name is Emily McDermott. I'm a French and American artist. I guess I specify oftentimes my nationality because that, that's a really big part of my identity is to be bicultural. And then can you tell us a bit about um, the motherhood project that you have with Noor? Yes, I've um, co-founded with Noor Awada. Noor Awada is a French and Lebanese artist, a project called Reproduction. The re is in brackets. And it's a project, a research project that we started in 2020 that focuses on the question of the impact of motherhood um, in the career of female artists and mothers in France. France is still a very patriarchal society, and that kind of has an impact in every sector, including the arts, and I want to say especially the arts. And so the question of motherhood, and we could say more broadly fatherhood, but unfortunately, in this case, 
we've realized that it's really impacted a lot more mothers than fathers. But that question was completely put aside, even when there were big discussions on female artists or women artists, that question was systematically kind of overlooked. And so we realized it was actually a really important part of impact for mother artists. It's not something that can be overlooked. And especially it explains a lot of why in France, there are over 70% of students are women. But then if you look down the road in galleries or solo shows, it's down to 20. So we wanted to know why that was. So we launched um, a survey in 2020 because we wanted to really have our research be field work, not just our subjective experience, almost have a journalistic approach um, and have um, the least bias we could. So we had a series of questions and we've had so far about 150 answers. And we're working closely with this association called LAA. L apostrophe A-H-A-H. It's this art organization, but also last summer we got the support of the French Ministry of Culture. And so our aim is to broaden this survey and to have it be as well, like in French, you say quantitatif, it means like uh, with number-based so that we can come up with actual data and that will you know, give us a lot more weight when it comes to talking with institutions, residencies, if we can say such percentage of you know, mother artists have uh, been refused for a residency or have percentages, it'll be a lot more impactful. And to finish, our aim is not just to you know, put the finger on the fact that it's a real obstacle, but it's, it's really to change things. And we often use expression soft lobbying, but to change things such as you know, the access to residencies for parent artists. But also uh, in France, there's a lot of ageism in the art world and ageism impacts a lot parents. And so, you know, making sure that random age limits that have no justification that that could change. It's also more broadly like a, a political also uh, kind of um, discussion on what it means to do an art career and the place of having the possibility in the contemporary art world to have a different pathway and to to be able to venture off, you know, the conventional paths. So I like to talk a lot about this book called Tell Them I Said No by Martin Herbert. It's this um, art theorist where he, he did actually a bunch of research on different artists that said no to the system. And so it's quite interesting to look at that from the perspective of motherhood as well, to kind of see it as a, as a resistance to this kind of capitalist vision of the art world. I think I mentioned what the questions were when I, when I was talking to you, but it's like two questions we have about collaboration. And one of the questions actually comes from the big conversation space. And when we talked to Clemence in Paris, she said that she had been in conversation with you. So this is an interesting overlap to have you on as well. So the question is, what is collective action and how can it co-mingle with individual agency? For our project with Nuhawada Reproduction, that's really at the center. When I was talking about fieldwork, that was exactly what I meant, was that we have this individual experience as parent artists and how that's impacted us. And for Nuha and I, we, we have a very different experience. For her first kid, she really had the thing where she wanted to completely like you know, separate her art career from her motherhood and not have it impact at all her career. Whereas for me, I was almost in this kind of like dream denial where I, I didn't imagine like 
what it actually meant to have a, a child when you're an artist. So we had this individual experience, but then we realized that there was also this systemic collective experience that's shared. And so in our case, the collective action is really addressing like systemic discriminations, a systemic mind frame that is hindering oftentimes mother artists or parent artists more broadly. And so our collective action is to, with these individual, all these individual testimonies, to be able to do this soft lobbying that I'm talking about. I like to say soft lobbying, not because it's soft in the sense where it's, you know, it would be like less impactful, but more because it's more on the long, long term. And it's also, we, we want to work collaboratively with institutions, collaboratively with residencies and not be in this frontal opposition. That's not our goal. And what have been some reactions you've gotten to this from institutions? We've had um, so far quite positive reactions. So we were invited in the fall. France is a very centralized, very state-run, like a lot of, you know, European countries based country in terms of art. So each region in France has what's called um, FRAC so it's Fonds Régional d'Art Contemporain. It means like regional contemporary art funds, like these art centers. And so we were invited to intervene for the FRAC uh, Picardie. So Picardie is a region in the north to talk about our projects. And as I said, there's this um, commission for the Ministry of Culture called La Mission Égalité Diversité. So it's an equality diversity uh, mission that was really interested in our project. And so we've had really positive feedback. We have re more Recently, in March, we were able to talk with an artist, Anne Le Trotter, in this art center in Paris called Beton Salon. And I've been invited in June to talk about the question of residencies for the symposium in Paris. So I think art institutions are really aware, but it's more like it's never been addressed and that's also why I think we have this positive feedback. It's, it's the first time that there is this collective action to pinpoint this issue. So that's, that was almost taboo. So we, it's kind of like we broke this taboo and also to, uh, to change things. And then if I think about my own work, it's, it's interesting as well, because in my installations and in my work, I tend to oftentimes base my work on interactions with the public or on very uh, personal stories that people tell me, and then I reappropriate them and I incorporate them in my work. And so that's oftentimes been a bit of a, of a big um, inner debate um, because there's, it's a bit different perhaps than your question, but there is also this question of my individual artist aim and vision. And then these collective stories or these um, testimonies that I have and what do I do with them and how do I incorporate this in a, you know, in a bigger picture. You talked a little bit about how Noor and you had quite like different ways of like approaching the same theme. So when you talk about how you've been working with um, sort of the social conversational aspect that you then bring to your individual practice, uh, even though Noor's not here now, maybe you can like say a little bit about how you work collectively with these things, with the different approaches that you have. In this case, I have to start about like the starting point of why we decide to work together and it's quite interesting. So Nour founded this performance laboratory in 2018, and I was part of it. And um, at the end, of, we had these big work sessions. And at the end of one work session, we would debrief. 
And there was this work session that we had done around anger. We were maybe 10 artists. And at the end of the day, we were debriefing on, you know, anger. And, and me and this other artist, we started talking about anger, but in terms of our experience with our children. At that time, I just had my girl, Ella. But so we started talking about it. But other people spoke about, you know, how anger and their each person was giving their own subjective experience. And then no, when we spoke about our experience, reflecting it with our children um she got very uncomfortable and she started telling us that she preferred that we didn't talk about our experience with parenting that it wasn't the place and that was the first time that I was really confronted with that and then um that evening she contacted me and we talked a long time and she she realized it kind of like dawned on her that she had applied what what she had thought was the condition in the art world was to really have this separation. She was starting to apply it in her own laboratory, and that was a shock to her. And then we realized slowly that we were both in this process of thinking about how parenthood had impacted our the way we, we were driving our career. And so out of this initial spark, we really decided to collaborate together. And she oftentimes talks about this this initial starting point. So that's really interesting. And I guess this next one question will also kind of relate to this. How to deal with feeling like individual suffering while collaboration is thriving? So like your individuality is suffering or your individual practice? Um, I've never experienced that with my projects. So if I look at really this real collaborative project, with which is a reproduction, we've never... I think it's because we really have this incredible like dynamic between us two. So I've never felt any individual suffering. On the contrary, I would say like, for example, reproduction this year has been, you know, quite um, effective. And I gave birth to my third kid in November. So there was a real halt again <laughs> in, uh, in my own production. So it's not, I wouldn't qualify it as suffering, but I guess in a way my, you could say my art, my personal art has suffered, but I would say that this thriving collaboration has driven on the contrary. It's been like really motivating for me. I often refer to my art as my fourth kid. So it's a way, this collaboration is a way for me to take care of also to be like, okay, to reground myself. For me, in my case, collaboration, it's, it's going to, on the contrary, like really motivate me. It's the same thing in, in terms of in my art projects as well, when I'm, as I was saying, yeah, it's going to be more like um, a strength rather than something that's going to make me feel like worse. I don't know if it's clear or not, or that's what you were thinking. Yeah. Anna, what was the question you're asking? Oh, yeah. Thinking of your question also makes me think of when I have been asked, like, oh, it would be great for to have one of your works in this show, like a new one, but kind of like this, you know, like referring to a specific type of work, because I do like lots of different things. And sometimes they'll ask something that I'm like, don't feel up to at that very moment, mm -hmm. you know, like, or that's not what I'm doing right now. And I think that's, or, or yes, so I have to like spend a lot of time and something doesn't really uh, match with where I am at the moment. 
maybe that's sort of what happens if like there's like too much focus on one type of part of my practice which would be like collaboration or a specific collaboration that like takes over the space that I'm like trying to carve out to do something else so yeah. it could also be like oh we want uh, video work and I know like in my head like that would actually be like at least four months of my time and I still can't start with those cute sculptures I'm planning in my head or you know like there yeah it's it's this puzzle and sometimes it can take up too much space yeah and I think for me my work is so different than than the podcast you know it's part of my work but it's also like if you look at the two things side by side I don't know if they make sense to anyone who doesn't know me as a person but have you been thinking or wanting to kind of bridge or figure out how can make more sense to you I don't know because a lot of the questions that we get and that we talk about have to do with like contemporary problems and like real life problems and then the problems that I address in my work are like historical think of this collaboration more like sort of like a self self-help on the side so maybe that's why it shouldn't be too grand yeah and it's fun too I mean yeah we've met so many interesting people and I, I, like like you're saying Emily there's like a lot of things that we're, you don't realize you're not supposed to talk about until you talk about them and then people are excited to talk about them like we have talked about the you know people have asked questions about like when should I have a kid or should I have a kid or I'm undecided about having a kid you know and it's because they're an artist and they're like how does this fit into all the other things I want to do it's not like uh yeah, like not the same as working for a corporation and going to an office every day. Like those questions are, it's a little different. Yeah, and, and so it's like you were saying, Anna, on like it being like a puzzle. It's true when you have a collaborative work like this, it's, you're going to dedicate such percentage of time. And then what do you do with your individual practice? And then your parenting. And then in my case, I have a teaching job as well. I teach in an art school, but it's not like in Finland or Norway where you, you actually have this almost like this artist salary we're trying to lobby for that but so we don't have that so um for example with Nour, with this project reproduction we're not paid like it's completely pro bono and that's also like raising questions on you know how we consider artists time as you know almost like this uh, image of the artist that doesn't need money that just can just mm. create doesn't just um yeah french the expression is uh is you know in there's this expression in french vivre d'amour et d'eau fraîche means to live of love and fresh water <laughs> but uh it's this very romantic image of the artist and at the end of the day yeah i mean it, we we are in a society where you are being paid for something is also very symbolic that's also something that we're we're thinking like uh, right now we're really in a phase in our project where we're trying to raise funds and that's quite a challenge as well because public institutions don't have a lot of money and there's not like a culture like in not as much as in the U.S. of um, you know having private that you can but it's this whole like process and yeah that question of puzzle like how much time do you put in a project yeah well Anna you have to go right <laughs> <laughs> talking about that puzzle I'm very happy to get uh, yeah insight into your into your work and your collaboration yeah mm -hmm. yeah thanks a lot Thanks for having me. And if you're interested and if you speak French, we were uh, we were recently um, part of a podcast called in French La Reprise. It means like uh, La Reprise is when you start work again. And oh. so it's this podcast on uh, where the, the the interviewer asks different pe different people like um, what it's been like to start work again after kids. So you have all these different episodes. And so we were part of an episode on artists. 
um well that's so cool and my french is still still not good enough well for our listeners that that do understand french we can definitely share that the Friends season of Ask Adelaide and Anna was commissioned for The Real Show at CAC Bretigny. Curated by Agnès Violot and Céline Poulin. And is supported by OCA, the Office for Contemporary Art Norway and Stavanger Municipality. Thanks to Anna's neighbor, Benjamin, who was so kind to record his cats chatting for us to use in our jingles this season. Thanks for listening. <laughs>